0: Well good morning. morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. Uh, let me say welcome again. We're so glad that you are here. Uh, that music makes me want to walk out with a little bit of a swagger, um, but I will spare all of you that. That's my gift to you this morning as I will spare that, spare you from having to endure that. Well we're in week four of our series, The Fight of Your Life, uh, talking about how uh, we can engage in the spiritual battle that is our life. You see, the Bible talks often about how life is not just some peacetime mentality. It's really a battle, it's really a struggle for our lives. And it's not one with guns and tanks, but it's one for your life, one for your soul, one for your heart. And today we're going to be talking about how we can wage war on our sin. How we can wage war on our sin. We're going to be looking at the story of Samson in Judges to see how habits can either help us or they can hurt us as we are trying to battle sin In our lives. Maybe you're here today and and you've been trying to fight sin in your life but you feel like you just keep losing. You try to fight that temptation when it comes but you feel like time and time again you're giving in to the same thing. You feel like repeatedly making the same mistakes or maybe even different ones. You just feel like you're not gaining any ground in your fight against sin in your life. So often we think the fight against sin is just about that moment of temptation, but in reality, as we're going to see this morning, the fight is actually found in all those little things that we do every single day that either move us toward sin or away from it. You may have gotten discouraged in your fight against sin because you feel like you have tried everything, but I want to suggest this morning that maybe you've just tried all of the wrong things. You've tried to make your fight against sin only about those big moments of temptation and haven't realized that it's really about those decisions that we make every single day and the habits that we form. And so today, I hope to help you in your fight against sin by helping you see the power that habits can have in that fight. In this series, we've been challenging you to declare war on the version of yourself that you don't want to be. Sometimes I'm not the person that I know I should be. Sometimes I'm mean and cold and cranky and some of you know that better than others in this room. Sometimes I'm rude and judgmental and I think things that would startle all of you in here today. The hard truth is that I am the greatest danger to my own spirituality. I am my own worst enemy so often. It's only the sin inside of me that hooks me to the sin outside of me. And so really the greatest danger isn't out there, it's in here And so today, I want to declare war on that version of me. I want to be more like Jesus and less like David. And I want to encourage you and invite you in to to not fall victim to the war that's being waged for your life and for your soul and, and against sin in your life, but to get up and to fight. You can't really win a conflict you don't admit that you are in if we just acknowledge that we're in a battle, sometimes that gives us so much help in fighting it because when we declare war, it separates us from those problems that so often we can just think are permanent parts of our identity. We think that we can never change in that area, but Jesus actually can give us victory over those things if we declare war on them. And so in this series, we're declaring war and and we're fighting for our life against darkness, against selfishness, against narcissism, against spending hours doing nothing, against our minds, against our mouth, against our enemy, and for the next generation. And so today, we're going to be declaring war on our sin. I encourage you to turn, turn to Judges chapter 13. That's going to be the sixth book in your Bible. If you don't have uh, a copy of the scriptures, we'd love to get, give you one at our Welcome Center. We're going to be doing today a, kind of a flyover of the story of Samson, which we find here in chapters 13 through 16. And Judges tells of a, a time period in Israel's history that was, was really, really messy. Um, it describes this cycle that the, the people of Israel went through where they would uh, abandon God and they would just go hard after their sin. Um, and as a consequence for that, as God promised that he would, actually, um, that he delivers them over to enemy nations and they, um, they rule over them and they make their life pretty miserable. And then after a while, while, Israel realizes that they've done wrong, and so they cry out to God for deliverance, and he sends what are called judges, and these aren't judges that sit in a courtroom. Um, these are people who deliver the, the nation of Israel, and then they rule over them for a time. But then the nation of Israel again goes and pursues their sin, and God again gives them over to another nation, and this, this, this cycle you'll see repeated throughout the book of Judges. And today we're looking at the story of one of those judges that God raised up named Samson. Uh, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you've probably heard that name. Um, he's the strong man in the Bible. Um, he's one of, maybe one of the, the favorite uh, stories that we like to tell to our kids. And as we get into the story, I want to point out something about the Bible that's going to help make sure that we learn well from this story. Old Testament narratives will tell you what happened but they will not always take time to stop the story and tell you what is morally correct and right. We're used to writing that kind of, that takes time to pause and say, okay, this, this thing that the character did was a good thing, although it doesn't say it that obviously, right? Um, but it usually often are the writing that we're used to does that, but in the Old Testament, especially, it doesn't always pause to do that. Just because it's in the Bible does not mean it's a right thing to do. Um, we find all kinds of awful things in the Bible. We find rape and murder and incest. And so just because a character in the Bible did it does not make it okay. And so we have to lean into this story in order to discover, not determine, but discover what is right and what God is teaching. We've got to lean into the story and into the rest of Scripture to figure it out. And so this morning as we go through the text, we're going to see how Samson failed to fight well and really how his habits, they ended up destroying his life. So let's dive into this together. We'll be kind of jumping around these three chapters today. And I'd encourage you to, by the way, this week, to read all three of these chapters so you can kind of see the whole picture of Samson's story. But let's start in uh, chapter 13, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. That's that cycle again. A certain man of Zorah, named Manoah, from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was childless. Unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You'll become pr- pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hand. Of the Philistines. Let's get down to verse 24. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him, and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. And to help us understand what's happening here, we need to know that under the Old Covenant, an Israelite could make a Nazarite vow to the Lord and be set apart for a sacred task. And there were three rules for this Nazarite vow they couldn't drink any wine or eat any grapes. Uh, They couldn't be anywhere near a dead body, they couldn't touch any dead bodies, and they could not cut their hair. And those might sound like kind of strange rules to you, um, but they're gonna become important as this story unfolds. And in this case, God called Samson to this vow to identify him as the one who's gonna be appointed to deliver the people from the Philistines. Samson grew up and he became a mighty man. So let's pick up the story in chapter 14. Samson went down to Tibna and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he and, his father and he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Tibna. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there any acceptable women among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. At this point in Israel's history, they're being ruled by these people called the Philistines, a neighboring nation that really was making their life miserable. And the Israelites had been given specific instructions by God not to marry anyone from other nations because they would draw their heart away from worshiping God. They would lead them into sin. But Samson seems to have no care for God's command in this area. He demands that his parents get him, this Philistine woman, to be his wife. And I want to draw your attention to what Samson says to his parents' objections. Basically what he's saying is, even though you know and I know this is wrong according to God, it feels right to me. She is the right one for me. He's convinced that she's the one. He's got to have her. And while it might be easy for us to sit here this morning and kind of judge Samson for saying something like that, I think you and I do that too. How often have you worked to convince yourself that your way is better than God's way, that you know better than God what is right and good and wholesome and will lead you toward joy? How often have we, dis, uh, have we worked to, to, to say that our way is better than God's? How often have we swindled ourselves into believing that that relationship, that purchase, that career decision, that way that we spend our time is right, even when God says it's wrong, or at best, unwise? Here's how Proverbs addresses this tendency in every single one of us. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. Proverbs says that there's a way that seems right to us that we think is good, but in the end, it reaps death and destruction in our lives. Now, let's be real. In the end, is it the end of the world that Samson marries a Philistine? Uh, No, not necessarily. God's actually going to use that for his purposes, but it's the start of a slippery slope for Samson. You could really say that this moral compromise is the beginning of the end for him. Here he decides he's going to go against God's rules for his people. Well, right after this, a young lion attacks him, with, but with his bare hands, Samson kills this lion because the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Pretty crazy story, right? That's one of the ones we love to tell our kids. But several days later, he walked by the lion and he found honey in the carcass, and and walking by the carcass, he grabs some of that honey and starts to eat it, and that might sound kind of gross to us, but here's why this is important. Remember that Nazarite vow. He was not supposed to be anywhere near dead bodies. He wasn't supposed to have any contact with dead bodies, and yet here he is around the carcass of this lion. Now again, is it the end of the world that he touched this carcass? No, it's not the worst thing he could have possibly done. It might even sound kind of harmless or maybe also gross to us, but it's one more step down that slope, isn't it? It's one more compromise. First, he's defying God's general rules for all of his people, and now he's defying God's specific rules for him as a Nazarite. But he's not done yet. He then goes on to uh, try and make this woman his wife, and he throws this feast, and this is not like some church potluck. This is a drunken party that lasts a week. And so now he's breaking another one of those vows. He was not supposed to be drinking any alcohol or even be eating any grapes. Now again, is it the absolute end of the world? Maybe not, but it's one more step down that slope, one more small moral compromise. Well, it turns out this marriage wasn't such a great idea. Uh, She ends up betraying him and then moving on and marrying one of his friends at the wedding there. Picked a real winner there, didn't you? He gets real mad and he decides he's gonna get revenge uh, by capturing 300 foxes, tying their tails together, putting a torch in the middle of it, and by doing so, uh, setting flame to the Philistines' fields and by doing so, taking away basically all of their food. And the Bible doesn't specify this, but I'm pretty sure he was singing before he cheats by Underwood, Carrie Underwood as he was um, doing that, but, but no matter. And then he goes on to have a few uh, rampages where he kills a whole bunch of Philistines there in chapter Fifteen. Well, some time goes by, and Samson, apparently, he hasn't really learned his lesson when it comes to women. Let's look at chapter 16, verse 1. One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. And so they surrounded the palace and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn, we will kill him. Samson can't seem to help himself. Once again, he is defying God's rule for his people by visiting a prostitute. The people try to entrap him and and kill him, but he ends up uh, running down and he actually tears the gates. He picks up the city gates and just carries them up a hill and is able to escape. And we're not talking about like a white picket fence gate. These are like city gates that would weigh a whole lot. But Samson still hasn't learned his lesson. Let's move down to verse 4. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, "'See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him.'" Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. And so now this is the third time Samson is getting involved with a woman who is trying to betray him to his enemies. This is the third time he's getting involved with a woman who he shouldn't have been involved with as an Israelite. You'd think that after the first two times he would have learned something about how these women were betraying him to his enemies, but not Samson. Seems to be the true definition of a hopeless romantic. And here's what we see in the story of Samson. He made a habit of moral compromises that made the next moral compromise easier and easier and easier. He broke one rule after another, each time ignoring the consequences and just continuing in his sin. He just made a habit of disregarding God's law, disregarding God's rule, disregarding everything that God had to say. So here's what we need to learn from the story of Samson. If you walk away with nothing else, remember this today. The habits you allow in your life today are going to determine who you become tomorrow. The habits you form today determine who you become. The things you repeatedly do are the things that are going to form who you will be. And Samson is a clear example of this. He built a habit of just defying God's commands. And as we're going to see, it ultimately wrecks his life. And you might be making a relatively small moral compromise here or there. Dating someone you shouldn't, watching movies that you shouldn't be watching, going to a party you know you probably shouldn't be at, doing that thing with your finances that's just a little bit gray, stopping by your coworker's office to just chat, and thinking to yourself, I'm okay. I've got this. I can handle this. It's just a movie. It's just a party. And the truth is, maybe you can hold your ground for a while. The question is, how long? You see, sin doesn't usually get us to go from zero to 100. It gets us to go one degree at a time, one small, small moral compromise at a time that doesn't seem like that big of a deal at the time. But all of those little decisions become habits, and those habits form who we are becoming. Here's how Levi Lusco, the, the author of that book that Matt mentioned the other week, talked about that. The future you is an exaggerated version of current you. Time doesn't change anything. It merely deepens and reveals who we are. If you are kind today, you're gonna be kinder tomorrow. If you are cruel today, that too will deepen. Smile lines and frown lines are forming on your face at this very moment. Generous old people are people who, when they were young, lived lives of generosity. Cranky old people grew out of young people who never learned how to get out of their own way. People do not wake up one day a totally changed person. They become who their habits are forming them to be. Time has a way of revealing who we are underneath all our social niceties and underneath all of our pretending. It reveals what's actually there. Every time you make a decision, it's it's like a domino falling over. And we know that domino is gonna knock over the next, right? There's a physicist named Hans von Lewin. I'll pretend I pronounced that correctly. He discovered that every time a domino falls, it generates enough force to, sufficient to knock down a domino twice as big as itself. And I think that kind of illustrates the power of our decisions. One choice affects another, and the effects of those choices, they accumulate and they grow and they magnify over time. C.S. Lewis talked about this. He said this, good and evil both increase at a compound interest. That is why the little decisions you and I make every single day are of such infinite importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategy point from which, a few months later, you may be able to go on to victories that you never dreamed of. And apparently trivial indulgences in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge, a railway line, or a bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack otherwise impossible. Your habits are compounding either towards evil or towards good. In life, the stakes just get higher. The effects of your decisions, they compound. Again, either towards evil or towards good. And it was true for Samson, too. Let's continue in his story in verse chapter 16, verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. You think that would be like a pause for, cause for concern, but apparently not. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With the men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. And so the secret of his great strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come, now tell me how you can be tied. Again, you think that would be a cause for concern, but he doesn't. He said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. "'Delilah then said to Samson, "'All this time you have been making a fool of me "'and lying to me. "'Tell me how you can be tied.' "'You think he'd get the hint. "'He replied, "'If you weave the seven braids of my heads "'into the fabric of the loom "'and tighten it with the pin, "'I'll become as weak as any other man.' "'And so while he was sleeping, "'Delilah took the seven braids of his head, "'wove them into the fabric, "'and tightened it with the pin. "'Again she called him, "'Samson, the Philistines are upon you.' "'He awoke from his sleep, "'and he pulled up the pin in the loom "'with the fabric.' Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. This guy is crazy, right? Like what is wrong with this guy? Clearly she is trying to trap him. You would think that after the third time he would get the hint, but not Samson. He keeps on plowing ahead. And why does he keep playing her games? Well, I think there's two reasons. Number one, sin makes you stupid, and so you do stupid things, right? But secondly, I think it's really because he thought he was strong enough to overcome in the end when it got real. I think he kind of liked, he kind of liked the the the, the game that he was playing. He kind of liked the thrill of being able to, to defeat these overwhelming odds. He thought he'd be strong enough in the end, to overcome when it got real. And this again illustrates something that's so important for us in our battle. With sin, You see, sin most often enters through the door that we intentionally leave open, that door that we intentionally leave open in our life. We sometimes are surprised when we fall into sin, but the reality is that we've been leaving that door open all along and never shutting it. At any point, Samson could have, got, could have just packed up his bags and he could have left and he could have gone back to actually walking with the Lord. And for those of us reading this story, it seems so obvious and clear that he is headed down a path of destruction. And yet, how easy is it for us to be making our own compromises, to be walking down our own destructive road and be thinking, I've got this. I'm strong enough. I'll leave when it gets real. I'll be able to say no. I'll be able to overcome this. How easy is it for us to leave the door open to temptation because we think we're strong enough. To resist it when things get real. But as we're going to see in this story, for Samson, the effects of his decisions compounded and it left him with, in greater destruction than he probably even thought was possible. Let's keep reading in verse 16. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. And so he told her everything No razor has ever been used on my head, he said. Because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. And then she then she called Samson, "The Philistines are upon you." He woke from his sleep and thought I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him to Gaza. Binding him with shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. See Delilah much like temptation in our lives. She just kept nagging and nagging until we give in a little bit more and a little bit more. Samson thought to himself, I'll break, break free just like before, and we often do the same thing, right? I'll leave the party before it gets too crazy. I'll drink a little bit, not too much. I've got this. I can handle this. But this time, Samson was too far in. His habit of just defying God finally caught up with him, and the same will happen to us too eventually. I don't know when, but at some point, the, the, the results of our decisions will catch up with us. Sin always promises to give us what we want, but it never, ever delivers. It's our next lesson that we learn from the story of Samson. Sin promises freedom, but it brings bondage. It promises to give us what it wants, but what we want, but we never actually see it. Sexual temptation allures us into thinking that we are free to love whoever, whenever. But in the end, we're left with bondage of sexual addiction, broken hearts, broken relationships, and deep soul-level scars. Greed allures us into thinking that we'll be free if we spend all of our money on ourselves and get all those things that we want. But in the end, we're left with a mountain of debt, a life isolated from people that cared about us, and a pile of stuff that never really filled that void for us. Bitterness tries to offer us a sense of justice. Holding on to that bitterness and that anger can feel like a way of getting back or getting even or giving that person that hurt us what they deserve. But in the end, bitterness steals our joy and it hurts us and every person around us. What we see in Samson is that no person has more power to destroy my life than I do. No person has more power to destroy my life than I do. Samson was the one who made all those little choices that led him to where he ended up. It wasn't his parents' fault. It wasn't the Philistines' fault. It wasn't Delilah's fault. Samson made those choices. He made a habit of defying God and defying God's commands, and it wrecked his life. But here is the good news for us this morning. Well, no one has more power to destroy my life than I do. No person can rescue my life like Jesus can. And so Paul talks about it in Galatians. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burned again by a yoke of slavery, You see, this is the good news of the gospel. Jesus bought us back from our, uh, gave us victory from our Delilah, from that sin that wants to entangle us, that wants to overtake our lives. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, then we are called to walk in the victory that Jesus has already given us. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to deserve it. We never could. Jesus gave us victory over our sin if we are followers of Jesus. And so here's the reality. Anytime we choose sin, we are choosing to go back to that prison cell, close the door, put that jumpsuit back on, and put those chains back on our wrists. Anytime we choose our sin, we are walking back into that prison cell and we are submitting to that slavery and that bondage that Jesus has rescued us from. Sin promises freedom, but it never delivers. It always brings bondage. But Just like Samson, you don't just go from total freedom to being locked in the jail cell. There's a series of choices along the way that either move you closer to the jail cell or closer to freedom. And so my final question for you today is this. Are your habits moving you toward freedom or toward bondage? Are the things you're doing every day, are they leading you in the direction of freedom or the direction of bondage? You see, when it comes to your habits, there are very few that are totally morally mutual, that aren't leading you somewhere. If you think that you are fine just walking the line, walking real close to the border of sin, but not going over, that's going to lead you toward bondage. We often think of life as big moments and big decisions, but the reality is that no matter what God does for any of us, the real bulk of our lives is made up of unglamorous, unsexy, unspectacular opportunities to either keep our eyes on Jesus or not. It's in those mundane moments of either choosing to build the right habits into our life or not. The majority of our lives is going to be made up of those daily habits where we are building the person that we are becoming. There was a study done that found that about 45% of our actions in any given day are habits. That means about half of the decisions that you make in a day are really pre-made decisions. Half the things you do in a day, you're basically doing on autopilot. And those good habits make it easier to make good decisions, right? And those bad habits make it easier to make bad decisions. We all know this, right? If you work out in the morning, it's easier to wake out and work out, and work out in the morning. Well, maybe not easy, but easier, right? But the same is true in reverse. If you're used to letting anger control you, it becomes easier and easier to destroy the people and things that you love most in life with your anger. People talk about going through the motions as if that were a bad thing, but it's really only a bad thing if you're going through the wrong motions, right? Going through the motions can be incredibly powerful if those motions are leading us toward freedom and leading us toward life and leading us toward victory. Samson's habits did not do that. They led him toward bondage. If you read the end of chapter 16 there, you'll see that the end of his story, after his eyes are gouged out and he's taken to be a slave and put to work. He's brought to this big party of the Philistines, and he's literally there just to be entertainment and for them to make fun of him. Um, he had been a great enemy of the Philistines, and so they really enjoyed seeing him in his humiliated state. But Samson he prays to God, and, and God gives him strength to push down the pillars that he was standing on, and that collapses the building that they are in, and it kills everyone there, including himself, including himself. And so Samson he dies blind. He dies in prison, and he dies surrounded by his enemies. And God uses his death to to blow really a, to deal a mighty blow to the Philistines who were the enemies of God and the enemies of God, God's people at that time. But I have always wondered, how different would Samson's story be if he had different habits, if he had made different choices? How much more greatly could God have used Samson if he hadn't made a habit of just defying God and pursuing these women who were not, not, even, not even loyal to him. How different could his story have been? How much greater could a vi- of a victory could God have worked through Samson if he had made different choices? So we need to learn from Samson to build habits in our life that lead us toward freedom. Sometimes we resist getting into a habit of a spiritual discipline because we think that if we just love God enough, it's going to happen. We think that we'll just want to do the right thing and we're not gonna have to discipline ourselves to do the right thing. But I wanna pop that bubble for you right now and tell you that if you wait until you feel like doing the right thing, you're probably gonna be waiting for a very long time or you're gonna do it incredibly inconsistently. You're not gonna live in the victory that Jesus has for you because we still have a sin nature inside of us that we've got to wage war on and that's what we're doing in this series. I know for me, I usually don't feel like getting up and reading my Bible. But if I want the freedom that comes from knowing the word of God, that's a habit that I've got to have in my life. I don't usually wake up in the morning with like a burning passion to, to go and read my Bible. But I've made a habit of it because I know that this is what I should want and in my good moments, it is what I do want, right? And so I've got to fight that flesh. I've got to fight that sin nature that's inside of me every day until Jesus takes me home. And so here's my challenge for you this week. Determine to stop one habit that is leading you toward bondage and to start one habit that's gonna lead you toward freedom. Just pick one area. Where in your life are you habitually moving towards bondage? Where are you making decisions that may not be sinful in and of themselves, but they are leading you in a direction that ultimately is not good, that ultimately is not what Jesus would have for you? Just pick one area and work on it this week. Maybe for you, it's your entertainment choices. You're watching far too much TV or, or what you are watching is leading you in a direction you don't wanna go. We become what we fill our minds with, so what are you filling your mind with? Maybe you need to stop watching the news so much because it just pulls you into its negative and critical and angry spirit. Maybe for you, you've made a habit of numbing the pain or relieving the stress with things like drinking or stress eating or nonstop scrolling on social media or binge shopping or maybe even gossiping with a friend. Whatever it is for you, make today the day you decide that you're not gonna let those things rule and destroy your life. Then on the other side, what's, what's a habit that you need to build into your life that'll move you toward freedom? Don't just remove something. Make sure you're building something into your life. Maybe for you it's as simple as making church a priority. If that's, if that's you, I challenge you to, to try attending every single Sunday for a month and see if it doesn't change your relationship with God. Maybe for you it's getting involved in serving or getting involved in a small group. Maybe it's coming early to church and leaving late so you can actually talk with people instead of just running in and out. Maybe you need to make a habit of spending time in the Bible. You need to set a time and a place and figure out a reading plan and get to work actually developing your relationship with God instead of just kind of hoping it'll get better. Maybe you need to learn how to rest and Sabbath like God calls us to. Work has kind of become a religion in America and a lot of us have kind of just adapted it into our Christianity. So maybe this week you need to start on working and developing a Sabbath rest where you actually rest your soul and your mind and your heart like God called us to in creation. I graduated the other week and as I've wrapped up school and I'm transitioning to having to only work instead of work and do school, uh, I'm trying to make sure I build habits into my life where I actually rest and Sabbath like God calls me to. I've kind of made excuses over the the last four years of seminary and the four years of Bible college even before that. um, I kind of excused my workaholic tendencies as just the stage of life I was in. I thought, you know, I'm working full-time, I'm a full-time student, like I'm I'm allowed to be a workaholic. Um, And about a year ago, uh, I read a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And it's a super good book on that, on that topic, by the way. I'd recommend it highly. Uh, and it, it made me realize that I was excusing things in my life. I was, I was heading down a path that ultimately was not going to lead me towards freedom. It was going to lead me toward bondage. And so I've been trying to work over the last year to make sure I actually rest like God calls me to. And especially as I've graduated from school recently. I'm trying to actually take my days off instead of just working through them. I'm trying to actually pursue some things that I enjoy instead of saying, I don't have the time for that, I don't have the money for that. I've got a long way to go, but I'm trying to work on adding habits to my life where I actually rest like God calls me to. The hardest part of anything is getting started. And that's especially true when we are trying to change our habits. But if we'll stick with it through that first dozen or a hundred or maybe even a thousand times, before we know it, we'll find ourselves habitually doing the right thing. The habits we allow in our life today are going to form who we become tomorrow. So my question for you this morning is who are you becoming? Where are your habits leading you? Are they leading you toward freedom or are they leading you towards bondage? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it gives us clear examples, both good and bad. Thank you for the story of Samson and and, and how it teaches us that we need to make habits in our life of pursuing you and walking with you. And not let ourselves go down a path that is going to lead us toward bondage. Not excuse the decisions that we're making as just not that bad or it's not the end of the world. Father, I pray that we would be people who actually walk in the freedom that Jesus has purchased for us. That we wouldn't walk back into that prison cell and put those chains back on. But that we would be people who walk in the freedom you have for us. That we would build habits into our life that lead us toward freedom. That we'd realize that it, doesn't, we, it, it takes time. It's, it's one step at a time. Sin always gets us just to take one little moral compromise and before we know it, It's wrecked our life, and it's destroyed our relationship with you. So I pray that we'd be people who remember that our sin is dead and our sin is gone, and we would live in that freedom this week. Thank you so much for Jesus who purchased that freedom for us. In his name we pray. Amen.